Good morning. It's good to be here this morning with you. Uh, we're, we're excited uh, this opportunity. If you're visiting with us, uh, that you, you've come to worship with us this morning, and we just uh, always would love to have you stick around and um, just to chat with us after a bit. Or if you have questions about the church here in Columbia, we'd always love to answer uh, those as well. I mean, we know that uh, our numbers are a little down today uh, with a lot who are traveling and a few who are under the weather, so we just continue to pray for them and their health and their safety as well, and uh, hopefully they can come back with us uh, as soon as possible. Uh, this morning, we'll start out with, with a, a little illustration, but a mother uh, took her three young children to the ice cream shop, and the ice cream uh, manager uh, said, chocolate or vanilla? Uh, the lady, you know, kind of looked at, at him and said, uh, don't you have any more flavors than that? You know, I am... Um, just tired of just those two choices. And the ice cream man said, lady, if you knew how much time it takes for them to make up their mind over chocolate and vanilla, you'd never sell another flavor again. And that's true. You know, uh, children have a hard time making decisions uh, with that, but we do too as well as adults. So we have to make decisions every day. They come in all shapes and sizes. You know, some are uh, menial. They're, they're basic, basic decisions like what am I going to wear today? What, what am I going to have for lunch? But there's some that are more important. You know, if I'm driving down the road and the, the stop uh, light turns red, you know, I have to make a decision, right? Because that's a matter of life and death. Those are some pretty big decisions that we have to make. Uh, maybe we're upset with someone else and we have to make a decision. You know, do I say what's on my mind? Uh, some decisions we enjoy making. You know, maybe you get some birthday cash and you get some time to go and spend that cash and you get to make some fun decisions. Or there are some that are extremely hard. You know, you, you want to go on a diet and you pick the diet and it's, you know, it's tough. You see that chocolate cake across the room and, well, do, do I break my diet or do I stick with it? You know, Mark Twain once famously said, good decisions come from experience. Experience comes from making bad decisions. And that's a, almost a paradoxical statement, but, but it makes sense. You know, the, the more decisions we make, the better data we collect, uh, the better equipped we are for future circumstances. But what about those experiences or those decisions that we make that we just don't have that experience? You know, remember those first time decisions that we've had to make uh, growing up? Maybe it's what college you, you were determined to go to, or maybe it was where you proposed to your spouse uh, the, you, you remember the setting, you remember the, the time and the date and all of that, or maybe it was purchasing your first home. You know, you're in your, that living room and you, you say to yourself, you know, this is the home we're going to purchase. You know, these are decision points. These are, are points in your lives that you probably will never forget. You remember the scenario, the location, the setting, you know, all these things replay in your mind over and over again. And we also have those decision points, uh, moments in our spiritual lives as well. Uh, you, you, you probably remember well the day that you were baptized into Christ. You know, maybe you, you stepped into that water and it was a little bit cold. Uh, you remember who baptized you. You remember the day and when it took place. And maybe it was during uh, the invitation. Maybe you responded to the invitation and you remember that sermon that was preached by that preacher. You maybe remember the words that he said that pricked your heart, that convicted you. We had those decision point moments in our lives. Again, these are days that you will remember forever because of the impact they have on you. 
Well, I want to recall here, here quickly a, a couple of individuals who had these decision point moments in their lives, these spiritual decision point moments. And we're going to notice something very similar about the two of them. The first one is in the book of Jonah. And the coincidence between the two of them is going to be this city by the name of Joppa. Now, now we talked a little bit about Joppa last week in the life of Peter in Acts chapter 10. But what do we know about Joppa? You know, this name is not a name that we often remember when it comes to uh, scripture. You know, we think of Jerusalem. We think of uh, uh, Ephesus and and Corinth and places like these. But Joppa, there were two pretty big spiritual decisions made within, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years of one another. Uh, In the Old Testament, Joppa is mentioned a few times, and it's the place where uh, the the lumber, the the wood from the cedars of Lebanon that came down to uh, from the from Lebanon came down into Joppa, which was a seaport city. And that's where they were taken out of the water and taken to uh, Jerusalem so that the temple could be constructed. And again, in the New Testament, Joppa is mentioned with, with Peter. Peter was in Joppa when he raised Tabitha from the dead. And again, when he saw that great vision uh, with, when the sheet came down and all of those unclean animals were upon that sheet. And Peter had that vision three different times when he was on uh, Simon the Tanner's roof. Uh, Joppa, but, but of course Joppa is not really mentioned other than those uh, incidents. But I want to propose to you this morning that there were two pretty big decisions, spiritual decision points happening in, in Joppa. Again, not just an ordinary decision, but something that would have ramification, ramifications for time to come. Uh, if you uh, want to follow along with me, I'll be in Jonah chapter 1 uh, here in a second. But the first one that we want to notice is that Jonah... Or in Joppa, it's where Jonah decided to run from God. Follow along in Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. And notice here, the words recorded say, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come upon before me. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa. Found a ship which was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. You see, God called Jonah to be this great prophet, to go to Nineveh and to preach to these uh, people. But, you know, Jonah, we know he knows all about Nineveh. He, he wants nothing to do with Nineveh. These were the Assyrians, these were the enemies of, of God. Uh, they were known for their idolatry and their immorality and their cruelty. And, you know, I've mentioned this before in a lesson, but this was like sending a, a Jewish man into Nazi Germany to, to preach a lesson or maybe uh, sending one of our missionaries somewhere over into the Middle East. Right? That's, uh, you know, that's exactly why Jonah did not want to do this mission. He didn't want he wanted nothing to do with that. And so as we read there in Jonah, chapter one, he goes down to Joppa and he makes a huge decision. He says, I'm running away from God. You know, he, notice that he goes in the opposite direction. Uh, Nineveh is to his, his, his west, and he goes, or excuse me, Nineveh is to his east, and he goes west. And he goes as far west as possible towards Tarshish, which was probably in Spain, and he flees. He gets out of there, and he runs from God in Joppa. Well, well, let's contrast that with Acts chapter 10. Again, we spent some time with this uh, last week in Acts chapter 10. There was another great decision made in Joppa, but this time it was by the apostle Peter. It was Joppa where Peter decided not to run from God, but to run to God. 
See, again, Peter, he had that great vision. Remember, that sheet comes down. It's pulled down by its all, all four corners. It's filled with all of these unclean animals that the Jewish people were not supposed to eat. And he hears that voice that says, get up, Peter, kill and eat. And remember, Peter, as he was reflecting on this great vision that he saw three times, the Holy Spirit told him that there were going to be three men who were going to come looking for him and that he was to go with them without hesitation and go to them to Caesarea from Joppa. Notice in Acts chapter 10, starting in verse 19, Luke records, while Peter was reflecting on the vision, the Spirit said to him, behold, three men are looking for you, but get up, go downstairs and accompany them without misgivings, for I have sent them myself. Peter went down to the men and said, Behold, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for which you have come? They said, Cornelius, a centurion, a righteous and God-fearing man, well spoken of by the entire nation of the Jews, was divinely directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and hear a message from you. Verse 23, So he invited them in and gave them lodging. And on the next day he got up and went away with them and some of the brethren from Joppa accompanied him. See, Peter, he does not hesitate to go. He, he's not going to run away from God, but he is going to run to God. And that all happens in this city of Joppa. And so after he goes and he preaches to Cornelius and his household and they obey the gospel, what do you think Peter's thoughts are from that time forward? The Gentiles are now part of the kingdom. You know, I was part of that process. I, I preached the gospel to, to the Gentiles. I unlocked the door to the kingdom, to the Gentiles. You know, what if I didn't go? Uh, what if I refused to preach to them? You know, I went with God. Again, his, that was his Joppa moment. That was his significant moment. And I want us for us to consider this morning that we have those Joppa moments in our lives as well. You know, great decisions were made at Joppa. Again, Joppa is not a name, a household name within Scripture, but these were Joppa decisions. They represented these huge decisions in which either uh, someone ran to God or ran away from God. And I'm sure we've had to make those before or there are going to be times when we're going to have to make those decisions. And when I think of Joppa decisions... The first thing that comes to mind is I think of marriage. God designed three different institutions within Scripture, we know. He designed the home, he designed government, and he designed the church, really in that order. And marriage is one of those decisions that God intended to be lifelong, you know, as long as both those individuals are alive. And we say this at weddings, you know, until death does us part. You know, that was God's design for marriage. It's uh, lifelong, And this is no plainer than what we see Jesus said in Matthew chapter 19. Follow along with me, if you would, in Matthew uh, chapter 19. As the Pharisees, they come to question Jesus. They're trying to trap him. Uh, they're trying to get him to mess up, to make a mistake. And they say to Jesus in chapter 19, verse 4, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? Now, we want to notice what Jesus says in verses 4, 5, and 6. Because what he's going to do here is, is he's going to take them back all the way to the book of Genesis and, and to provide evidence that it was never that plan of God for that to happen. And so look, look at Matthew chapter 19, verse, starting at verse 4. Jesus said, and he answered to them, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. He begins by saying, 
he made them male and female. And he goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, and quotes that. Uh, in the beginning, uh, the marriage uh, that, that God instituted was to be between one man and one woman. And then he goes, and uh, Jesus quotes from Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, and he says that man shall leave father and mother and be joined to his, his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And then here in Matthew 19, verse 6, Jesus adds, So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. And of course, God joined the first couple, Adam and Eve, uh, performing that original uh, marriage ceremony all the way back in the garden. And so we know uh, through this teaching of Jesus that he meant for this union to be permanent. They are now one flesh, he says. Uh, One preacher uh, summed up these verses by saying, Jesus put the lock in wedlock. You know, again, a lifelong obligation is what Jesus is teaching here. And I want us to focus on this phrase, one flesh. Uh, Again, Jesus mentions here one flesh. A married couple is one in purpose, heart, soul, and mind. The husband and wife relationship uh, outweighs every other relationship in this life. And as we leave our father and mother, as it says there in verse 5, you know, the, the, literally he's saying give up. Uh, he's not saying abandon, abandon your parents, but you need to have some sort of separation. You need to give up and then you need to uh, cleave with your wife or be joined together. And that word there literally means being cemented or, uh, or glued together. You leave father and mother and you glue yourself to your spouse Cemented together, you know, we, we staple paper together uh, up in that top corner, you know, uh, but that's not concrete. That's, uh, you know, it's, sometimes it tends to fall off. But when we glue things together, when we cement things together, that's meant to be permanent. And notice what uh, Paul said in Ephesians chapter five, verses 28 through 31 uh, on this topic as well. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 28, he says, as he's teaching the relationship of the husband and wife with Jesus and the church, he says, So husbands are also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason... A man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That sounds pretty familiar, doesn't it? Uh, Paul quoting, uh, again, all the way back into the book of Genesis. He says that we need to treat one another, husband and spouse, as we would our own bodies. Again, just as a husband would never physically hurt his own body, he ought not to hurt his wife's body. They, they are one within the marriage uh, union. And this is, a, again, a, a lifelong uh, union. This is a Joppa moment when one decides to come together as one flesh. The, the two find completion and fulfillment in their lives in a way that no other human relationship provides. And we as Christians, you know, as, as parents and grandparents... We cannot neglect teaching this great truth to our children. That, that, that the day that they decide uh, to be married, to, to find a spouse, is that they need to understand how important this decision is, is. You know, we can't go to any fast food restaurant and apply for a job without being trained to do it. Yet there are a lot of us uh, who, who maybe neglect training uh, to become uh, married. And so some think, you know, there's often this old joke that often says, you know, uh, people think it takes two to get married. You know, a woman and her mother. 
But really, it's three. It's the man, it's the woman, and it's God. And so in a marriage relationship, we need to understand that Christ, that God is that centerpiece in our marriage. When times get tough and they will, what are we going to do? Are we going to run to God or are we going to run away from God? Again, a Joppa decision. Another Joppa decision I see within Scripture is repentance or returning to Christ. Uh, turn with me to Luke chapter 15. Uh, this, of course, uh, is the, the parable of the prodigal son. Uh, this is probably the, the, uh, the poster child of a Joppa decision because here we have an individual who ran away from God. Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 11. Remember, he was the younger brother, and he demanded to have his inheritance. His father gives him his his inheritance, and he takes it along with his belongings, and he goes on a journey into this distant, faraway country. And while he's there, he squanders his estate with loose living. He spent everything. He spent all that he had. And remember, to add on upon these troubles, a famine came in the land. And so what did he do? He had to hire himself out to, well, basically pig farmers who were living in the land. Of course, it was, it was a, a bad thing for a Jewish man to even be around pigs, but that's what he had to do. He had to get into the, the, the pen, if you will, and feed the pig and take care of it. The Bible says that he would gladly have eaten the food that the pig was eating because no one was giving him anything. But not only is this a man who ran away from God, this is also a man who ran to God. Now look at chapter 15, verse 17, because here is the hinge verse of this prodigal son of this story. In verse 17, Luke records, but when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread but I am dying here with hunger. Again, there's that pivotal moment. He came to his senses. Uh, he, he repented. He changed his mind. He made up his mind to go back to his father, to ask for forgiveness, admit that he had sinned against heaven and his father's sight. And not only did he run back, friends, but the father ran to him. Look at verse 20. So he got up and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced and kissed him. See, the father in this parable represents God. And that son, the prodigal son, represents anyone who left God and went back into the world, went away into that far country, the life of sin. And that's our heavenly father. That's our God waiting for his lost children to make that Joppa decision, that decision to come home. Right, to put away their pride and arrogance and rededicate themselves to God. To say, I've sinned. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He repented. Right? Repentance includes three things. It includes a change of mind. It includes godly sorrow. And it includes a change in life. And notice, and starting in verse 22, notice what God says here through, through this parable. He says, but the father said to his slaves, quickly bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf, kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. See, God says to his erring children, I'm waiting for you to make that decision. I'm waiting for you to make a decision that you will never, ever forget. And maybe that was you one point in your life. Or maybe uh, it could be you. Run to God. Uh, the prodigal uh, teaches us to run to God. Make that decision. 
the, the final and third decision that I want us to notice here within Scripture uh, of a, a great decision, a great spiritual decision is commitment to the church. The, this is our last one. But I mentioned earlier, again, that church, the church is one of God's three institutions that he, that he divinely orchestrated. And Jesus said, of course, that he would build his church in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, upon Peter's great confession that you are the the son of God. And the Bible also tells us that the church is the pillar and the support of the truth. It upholds the truth. Again, it's the pillar and the support of it. And the Bible also tells us that Jesus is the head of the church. He is the head. And what that means is that, you know, he's in charge. Right? It's not me, it's not you, it's no man, no woman, but Jesus is the head of the church. You know, I, I've made my own Joppa decisions. Um, I can recall when, you know, uh, at least three of them, when, you know, my children were born. You know, when I, when I first held them for that first time and I look into their eyes as these precious, you know, babies, and I would tell myself, it would really hit home with me that, wow, you know, God has blessed me with this child. I'm now responsible for raising this child to be a godly individual, to, to know God, to love God, and to love his church. You know, and again, it really started hitting me. I, I better start, you know, studying this a little bit. I better start to come to, to, to grasp of what God's word says. Uh, I better start taking advantage of when the church assembles and so that I can hear the, the preaching and I can gain the fellowship that, that arises when we come together. I better be more than just a hearer of the word, but again, a doer of the word. I need to be their example. Notice with me in Acts chapter 20. In Acts chapter 20, Paul is on his, well, basically the, the end of his third missionary journey. And he ends up in Ephesus and he's having this meeting with the elders there at the church in Ephesus. And, you know, they talk about a lot of different things within these passages. We're not going to read all of them, starting in verse 17 through 38 of Acts chapter 20. But it takes a moment like this to realize just how special the church is. As Paul is talking to the eldership there, he says, you know, I don't shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. When I was with you, I told you everything you needed to know. Uh, I was with you. I, was, I didn't covet your gold or silver or anything like that. I worked hard when I was with you. And I need you to know that when I leave, there are going to be these wolves that are going to come into the flock and they're not going to spare the flock and you need to protect them. And then towards the end of this, this great uh, meeting that they had, as the Bible says, as they knelt down together, they prayed and, and wept and embraced each other, knowing that this was Paul's last visit with them. But notice in Acts chapter 20, verse 28, notice these words uh, that Paul says to the church in Ephesus. He says to them, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I can only imagine those Ephesian elders when, when they heard those great words that Paul just said to make the decision that they were going to protect the church after hearing these words to be committed to the church, the church that was purchased by the blood of the Savior. You know, there's a, um, an illustration. Maybe you've heard this before. Maybe you haven't. You know, I, was, I watched a video uh, that someone had actually made a video of this as well. It's extremely powerful. And if you're interested in it, I could uh, help you find it uh, later on. But there was a man and it, this man's duty was to raise a drawbridge to allow the boats cross 
and to lower it when the train was crossing the river. I mean, this was this guy's job. He just stood there and waited. And if there was a train coming, he lowered the drawbridge. If there was a boat coming through the river, he'd raise the drawbridge. And one day the man brought his son to work with him. And, and his son was down by the river and he was fishing and having a good time most of the day. Uh, but curious as boys are, he got to wanting to climb up and see his father. So he climbed up and he peeked into you know, his father's office and he wasn't there and he went around and looking for him. And he didn't notice the trap door that was open uh, to the equipment room, to the mechanical area. And the boy tripped and fell into uh, the mechanical uh, area of the machinery. And suddenly uh, he tumbled in and he was stuck in there between the gears. Uh, as he was screaming for help, the father runs to him. Uh, but as he's running to him, he hears this sound in the distance, the distance uh, of a train's whistle. And he knows that he's got a big decision to make. Uh, the train is bearing down. The, the, the bridge is, is raised. And he's, he's got to make this decision. Does he save his son? Does he take the time to save his son? Or does he go back and lower the bridge and save hundreds and hundreds of individuals who are coming across on that train? What does he choose? And he frantically tries to free the boy, but he, he can't do it. Time's running out. He knows countless people are going to die. And so with tears in his eyes streaming down his face, he reached out and pulled the lever that controlled the lowering of the bridge. And the bridge fell in place just in time to save the passengers of that train. And as the man hit his knees and as the train goes past and, he, and tears falling out of his eyes, he, he, he noticed the passengers are just having a good old time. They're laughing, enjoying their trip, oblivious to what the father had just done for them. Friends, that's the same thing uh, that's illustrated of what's happening today uh, about the church. Christ died for the church. He shed his blood for the church. We need to ask ourselves, are we as committed to his church as we should be? Uh, would you decide to dedicate your life to Christ today? Or would you decide to dedicate your life to his church? You know, again, Jonah and Peter made huge spiritual decisions in Joppa. What about your Joppa moment? Have you had one yet? Will you have one? Do any come to mind? There are but a few Joppa decisions that we must make in this life. You know, again, uh, to me, marriage comes to mind. Uh, repentance, commitment to the body of Christ, baptism. These are Joppa moments. These spiritual decisions will have long-lasting ramifications. And just like Jonah, when the time comes, we can choose to run away. Or we can be like Peter, and we can choose to run to God. And friends, it is never too late to run to God. We need to decide today. Make this your Joppa moment this morning. If you've never been baptized into Christ, make this your Joppa moment. Come to God. Uh, God ha ha sent his only son uh, to this earth to live as a man uh, who was crucified and died, but three days later arose again. But that blood purchased the church. And so as we, as we read the scriptures, we know the Bible tells us that we need to hear the word of God and believe Jesus is the son of God. Again, repent or change our mind uh, of our sins. Confess Jesus as Lord and be baptized in uh, the water here that's prepared for us for the remission of our sins. And at that point, the Lord will add you to his church. Or this morning, uh, if you're here and you're a Christian, but maybe you need the, the encouragement of this congregation, maybe you need to ask for forgiveness. Again, there's no better time than to do this than, than right now. Again, make this your drop a moment this morning as together we stand and sing this song of invitation.